0: My name is Jace Cloud and one day I am going to die. And when I die I will stand before the Lord. Hebrews nine twenty seven says it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. As much as I don't like to think about it, I am going to die one day and stand before the Lord. And for all of us On the one hand, death is an uncomfortable subject. It's something we don't like to think about, we don't like to talk about. But on the other hand, for a Christian, the Apostle Paul tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And So death need not to be feared, because death is the passageway. Unless the rapture happens, death is the passageway towards us seeing Jesus. We need to think about the reality of our own death. What about you? If you truly stop to think and ponder the fact that one day you're going to die and you'll give an account to the Lord, death is something we cannot escape, we must not ignore, and for which the wise will prepare. And so today, as we continue our study of Ars Moriendi, The Art of Dying, what we're going to do today is really focus on the most important thing, the most important separation that has taken place, the separation, the spiritual separation that has taken place between God and man. <clears throat> our focus throughout this series is going to be what Scripture says about death. But also along the way, I'm going to incorporate some of the things that I've learned about death as a pastor coming along people who are dying or coming along their loved ones left behind. My basic thesis is a person can only die a good death if they have lived their life knowing that they will indeed die. If you were here last week or if you weren't, let me tell you what we talked about last week. We introduced this topic of Ars Moriendi by looking at Genesis 2 and 3 and the five separations that take place, that took place there in Genesis chapter 3. Five separations. Number one, man separated from God. Number two, man separated from himself. Number three, man separated from fellow man. Number four, man separated from creation And number five, creation separated from creation. And starting today and moving for the next several weeks, we're going to take one of those separations week by week. This week, focusing in on the most significant, the most important, and that is man's separation from God. We're all born spiritually separated from God. This is a major problem but thankfully, there's a solution, and there on your outline, you can see the outline of what we're going to talk about together this morning. First, we're going to review that problem of mankind's separation from God because of sin. The solution, number two on your outline, we'll talk about the believer's reconciliation with God, how God through Jesus has provided the only means through which man can be separa- or reconciled to God. And then, number three on your outline, we'll get real practical and talk about application and how we today can prepare to meet our Maker. So, open your Bible to Genesis 2 and also Romans chapter 5. We're going to begin by reviewing the problem of our sin in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, if you remember, is really the origin of all things, but Genesis chapter 2 gives us the origin of sin itself. Sin and death entered into our world. Genesis chapter 2, let me begin by reading for you. This is pre-fall, before the fall, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. Again, this is pre-fall. Adam and Eve are in the garden of Eden, and God gives them this major command. He says, listen, of any tree in the garden you may eat freely, but There is one exception. You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the day that you eat of it, you will die. Dying, you will die. But then as we skip ahead to chapter 3, enters The serpent, Satan, and he challenges God's God's word. Speaking here to Eve, notice what he says. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. The serpent, Satan, said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. As we saw last week, now Adam and Eve have a dilemma They're faced with the question, whose word will they believe? The word of God who says, dying you will die, or the word of Satan who says, you will surely not die? Of course, we know how the story plays out. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. But the question we need to ask is, well, who told the truth? Did Adam and Eve die that day? Again, in chapter 2, verse 17, God says, On the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So, did Adam and Eve die that day? Yes. Granted, they did, they did not drop dead physically, but on that day, and that very moment, they died a spiritual death. A spiritual death. Now, when we think about our death, lay aside the creation for a minute, but when we think about our death, there's really three types of death that we need to be aware of when it comes to the Scripture. Our minds typically go to physical death, and this is a reality we'll talk about next week, that time when we die and our bodies and our souls are separated. Our body and our soul is separated from one another. That describes a physical death. But what happened On that day that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they died a spiritual death. This is a separation of man from God, a spiritual separation that takes place. There's also, by the way, a future kind of death. It's called an eternal death, where if people die physically, who are still dead spiritually, then they too will die eternally, eternally separated from God. But here on this particular day, here in Genesis chapter 3, the death that Adam and Eve died was a spiritual death. And this is the first separation we talked about last week. Man separated from God. We see the evidence of this separation immediately. Notice again chapter 3 verse 8. We saw this last week. But here we see the evidence of this separation of man from God. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. But the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is the first And most significant death and separation, the separation of man from God. For the first time in all of human history, mankind is now afraid of God. Mankind hides from God. There's this separation that has taken place between God and man. But there's also something deeper that occurred. In this spiritual death, Lewis Berry Chafer says this, when Adam sinned, He became degenerate and depraved. He developed within himself a fallen nature, we call it a sin nature, which is contrary to God and is ever prone to evil. His constitution was altered fundamentally and he thus became a wholly different being from the one God had created. See, when Adam and Eve died spiritually, they now have this sin nature, this part of them that is now fundamentally hostile to God. And when you take a step back and think about this problem, mankind, since Genesis chapter 3, has tried to resolve this conflict, this division, in its own ways. I mean, think about the major religions of the world. Hinduism says you can achieve moksha or salvation through your own devotion. Buddhism says you can find nirvana by following the eightfold path. Islam says if you just follow the five pillars of Islam, even if you follow them perfectly, however, you might still not find salvation because salvation only comes if Allah wills it. Mormonism says you can find salvation through good works. And on and on we could go with Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian scientists or other man-made religions. And even some so-called versions of Christianity make us think that by our own effort, by our own works, that we can somehow solve this problem and reconcile ourselves back to God. But the gospel... What the Bible says is that the only way to find this reconciliation, the only way for this problem of us being separated from God can be resolved is because God himself took the initiative. All world religions have one thing in common, and that is your salvation depends on you. Reconciliation is possible, but only because of you. But Christianity says, no, reconciliation is possible only because of Christ. That this reconciliation between God and man is possible not because of anything we do, but because of his grace and his grace alone. But the sad truth is we're all born, the scripture says, as children of wrath. We're all born spiritually dead and separated from God. Now, As you look at Genesis 2 and 3, you might be thinking, well, this just describes Adam's sin. What does this really have to do with me? Everything. A doctrine many theologians call original sin is this idea that when Adam sinned, we all sinned. Ephesians 2 we're by nature children of wrath. Romans 5, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. See, sin is not just what we do ourselves, but sin is that very nature now that we've inherited through Adam. This propensity to sin, this inward turn to the self, all evidence of this hostile relationship We have with God. That's the problem. But the solution, really we see the solution all over the Bible. This is the major story of the Bible, but I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5 to find the solution to this problem of sin and how it has separated us from God. Let's take a look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, here we see the believer's reconciliation with God. Romans 5, verses 8 through 11. Notice how Paul describes what has happened. Romans 5, 8 through 11, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received the reconciliation. Now, again, I want you to notice at first The problem, as Paul describes it here in Romans 5. Notice Paul says that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And because we were sinners, Jesus died for us while we were still his enemies. This was our condition before Jesus reached in and saved us. We're sinners, we're enemies of God. But notice what Paul says here. Christ died, verse 8, for us. For us. This is the solution to our problem. Jesus died in our place, in the place of us sinners. This is the only means by which sinful man and a holy God can be reconciled. Now, there's a lot that can be said here in these verses, but what I want you to notice is that repeated word, we see it twice in verse 10 and once in verse 11. It's the word reconciled and reconciliation. Twice in verse 10 and once in verse 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, and much more having been reconciled, we should be saved. And not only this, we also exult in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. God's solution to our problem of separation is reconciliation. One Bible dictionary says this, reconciliation is the bringing together of two parties that are estranged. Reconciliation basically means change or exchange. It's the idea of a relationship being changed, of antagonism for goodwill, of enmity for friendship. Attitudes are transformed and hostility ceases. In other words, reconciliation really does two things. When God took the initiative and reconciled us to himself, number one, he took away the thing that divided us, our sin, that hostility. He he took it away, but then also he restored our good fellowship. So reconciliation takes away the barrier, the thing separating us, and it brings about full reconciliation. And the amazing thing when we think about reconciliation is that because of the reconciliation we have in Jesus, God now feels towards us, looks towards us, as though we had never offended him in the first place. Paul, what I also want you to see here in Romans 5, this reconciliation that the Apostle Paul talks about here, it speaks not only of an eternal reconciliation, but also a reconciliation right here, right now. Notice again verse 11, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. As believers, not only do we not have to worry about suffering the eternal wrath of God, but we also don't have to worry about suffering the temporal wrath of God. And the good news is, We can experience peace. Jump back up to verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, notice this, we have right now, or some translations say, let us have, but it's possible. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now. I want you to, again, take a step back and and consider this for a minute. In these words, you can have peace with God. We should feel tremendous relief. I mean, imagine that you had a terminal illness or disease, cancer or something, and the doctor called you one day and said, I have great news, you are completely cured. You would feel relief. Or imagine that you were on death row and, Today was the day of your execution, and yet you got pardoned. And not only did you get pardoned, but you got set free. Imagine the relief that you would feel. And yet we need to broaden that out eternally and come to grips with the fact that we were eternally separated from God, children of wrath, destined for wrath. And yet because of the reconciliation that Jesus brings, we're at peace with God. No longer children of wrath, but now children whom he loves. Do you know that relief? Does your soul know that reconciliation? When we think about this doctrine of reconciliation, there's four major things I want you to understand. Number one is your need for reconciliation. We need reconciliation because we have all sinned. We are sinners by nature, and because of that, we're separated from God. But the second thing you need to understand is the who of reconciliation. And God is the who of reconciliation. We're not reconciled with God because of us. He didn't reconcile us because of anything we've done, but he took the initiative, and it's only through God's initiative that we can experience that reconciliation. The third thing I want you to understand here is the means of reconciliation, the how. The only way, the only how, the only means of reconciliation is through the death of Jesus, the one who died in our place. And the fourth thing I want you to understand about reconciliation is the result and that's peace with God. We need it because we're sinners. God is the who, the reconciler, the one who does all the work. It comes about through the death of Jesus on the cross. And it results in us now experiencing peace with God. Now, this really is like the gospel one-on-one, right? If you've been around the church Uh, for a long time, this message, you hear this message all the time. We, We constantly talk about the message of reconciliation and forgiveness and redemption and all of these things. This is Gospel 101. And so you might be sitting there thinking, well, I've heard all of this before, and maybe you have. But I am thoroughly convinced that this message is something we need to hear all the time. This is good news that should not become old. But it's good news that should encourage us and motivate us each and every day. This good news of the reconciliation we have through Jesus is a news that's meant to impact the way we live now, that we can experience now that very peace and reconciliation that we have in Jesus. And to that, I want you to look at number three on your outline. But first, let me tell you a story. Operation London Bridge. You may have heard that phrase back in September 2022, Operation London Bridge or Operation Unicorn, which were the code names of the logistical plans written for Queen Elizabeth's funeral service. When Queen Elizabeth died, Operation London Bridge and Operation Unicorn went into effect. And her plans, the plans that were made for Queen Elizabeth's funeral, were highly detailed. Every possible thing that could have been thought through was thought through. Uh, uh, This plan had uh, put in place who should notify the press of her death, how her body should be transported, the guest list of those who should be invited to her service, the songs that were to be sung, all of the liturgy in the service, everything that should have been considered was considered and put into Operation London Bridge. The British newspaper, The Guardian, described these plans as planned to the very minute. Highly specific details of every element of the service. So Operation London Bridge was put into place. But what many people don't know is that Operation London Bridge was first put on paper back in the 1960s. The detailed plans of Queen Elizabeth's funeral were put down and later revised all the way back to the 1960s, long before her death. And by the way, Queen Elizabeth isn't the only royal to have plans for her funeral. In fact, there's a broader category called Operation Lion that details the plan for any royal death. Brian Piper, he and I were talking about this this week and he told me that there in Westminster Abbey there are files for the details of the funerals for all of the major royals. But what about you? As we look at number three on your outline, as we prepare to meet our maker, let me ask you a few questions. As you come, To grips with the fact that you too are gonna die? Have you planned to meet your maker? The first thing I would propose to you is to ask the question do you know, do you really know that you're gonna die, not just in theory, but in reality? That death isn't this something that you just put off and never wanna think about, but you actually have come to grips with the fact that one day, and you don't know when, you're gonna die. Again, Hebrews 9:27 says it is appointed it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment. You're going to die and when you do, you will stand before your creator, your maker, the Lord Jesus. My question is, are you ready? Do you believe that you were born spiritually dead? And you can do nothing to reconcile yourself to God. And not only have you personally sinned against God, but you were born a sinner. You were born with a sin nature. You were born a child of wrath. You cannot do anything to fix this problem. Again, the Bible is very clear that we're born spiritually dead. And if we die physically while still spiritually dead, then we will suffer an eternal death, eternal separation from God. This is the problem of all problems. That's the bad news, but the good news is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. On the cross, Jesus was separated from God the Father in our place. He suffered the wrath of God that we deserve. He was our substitute for sin. and Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, now God offers to us freely, No merit of our own, no cost of our own, but purely because of the work of Jesus, he offers to us the gift of eternal life and full reconciliation. All we can do is to accept that gift through faith. And so, for those of you here in this room or watching online, as I do every week, I want to give you the opportunity, if you don't know that reconciliation, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not completely assured that when you die and stand before the Lord, you're standing there not based on any merit of your own, but based on the merit of Jesus, the work of Jesus on the cross. Have you prepared to meet your maker by putting your faith in Jesus as your savior, your reconciler? If not, I want to invite you this morning to do just that, to put your faith in him. Now, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you are a Christian, I also have an application for you. And on this one, you're going to think that I have completely lost my mind. I want to call your attention to the handout there in your bulletin that looks a little bit like this. As you prepare to meet your maker... And come to grips with your own death, I want you to plan your own funeral or memorial service. And before I get into the details of this little piece of paper, let me give you three reasons why I think you should do this, why we all should do this. Number one, preparing your own funeral or memorial service is an incredible gift to give to your family. As a pastor, I've met with many families after one of their loved ones has died. And one of the things that I've observed is that families sometimes have to delay their grief because they're bogged down planning the details of a service. They're not yet able to grieve their loss because they're thinking through questions like, well, what was mom's favorite hymn? What are some good Bible verses that dad would have wanted shared? Or who would they have wanted to have speak at their funeral? So why not plan all of that ahead of time and allow your family, give them the gift of actually focusing on their grief. The second reason I think you should do this to create your own funeral and memorial service is because this will be the last opportunity you have to communicate to your family and share with them your story of reconciliation after you've died. Listen, once you die, you are not going to be able to come back and communicate to your family. I see no evidence in the Bible that dead people can speak to the living. Remember the story in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man dies and he's there suffering and in torment and with everything in him, he wants to send a message back to his brothers and and to tell them and to warn them about the suffering that he's enduring, but the answer is no. We will not have the opportunity after death to communicate good or bad things to our loved ones. However, if we plan our own funeral and memorial, then it will be the last message you can give to your friends and family until you see them in heaven. And so what will be your final message? What do you want to communicate about your faith? By the songs that are sung, by the scripture you want read, you will have a captive audience. And so what message do you want to be heard? And listen, again, as a pastor, I've gone through a number of funerals, and based on what's said it's clear those who have lived for Jesus and those who have lived for themselves. The message that's told in services, it becomes very clear of those who live for Jesus and they love Jesus with all their heart and those who ultimately live for themselves. In one service, people are worshiping and the other one, people are just pretending. And that leads me then to the third reason I think you should plan your own funeral or memorial service, and that is in preparing for our own service, it will impact how we live today. Planning our own funeral, thinking through what we once said, the scripture that's read, the songs that are sung, it helps to change our life today. So, what kind of service do you want to have? Figure that out and then live, live backwards. Live knowing that you're going to die. Live knowing that you'll meet your maker. Live knowing that you will stand before Jesus. And so as weird as this is, I know this is probably the weirdest sermon application you've ever heard in your life, right? Uh, But I really think this this is something you can do. It's a gift to your family. It's your final message after you're gone. And it impacts the way you live even now. So there in your your worship guide, you, you have this little handout right here. Let me walk you through my personal example. Um, There on the front page, your full name, your date of birth, your date of death, which will be filled in later. (laughs) On the inside, list your family members. Number two, what is your preferred location for the funeral or memorial service? Number three, who's the pastor whom you prefer to preside over your service? And listen... Uh, Just because I'm the pastor here at Grace, don't feel obligated to put me here, but um, be realistic, right? Billy Graham's not available. Um, Chuck Swindoll likely is not unavailable. He's still living, but probably he's not going to come. And so be realistic here. Um, I'm sorry, I'm just being honest with you. Um, Number four and five, notice this. These are incredibly important. What Bible verses do you want read? Read. What is the testimony of faith, the truth from God's word that you want proclaimed at your service? Mine, I've got Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Matthew 25, 14 through 23, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Um, Number five, what are some hymns or songs you want at your service? I've got a long list here. Here's, Here's mine. Probably all of these won't be done. Maybe some of these will just be in the slideshow or something, but Amazing Grace, we sang that earlier. It is well with my soul. Jesus paid it all. Christ, our hope in life and death, which we'll sing to close our service today. He will hold me fast. In Christ alone, death was arrested. His mercy is more. What rich songs do you want proclaimed? A testimony of what you believe. Number six there. Who are people you want to speak? Who are the people you want to have read the scripture, read the eulogy, share their remembrances? Number seven, do you prefer burial or cremation? Listen, I know this was debated decades ago about whether Christians should get cremated or not. I think it's fine. I don't see any reason biblically why Christians can't be cremated. I know it used to have its roots in paganism, but I think that has uh, kind of faded. So if you want to be cremated, be cremated. For me personally, I prefer burial, but I want to be buried as inexpensively as possible. I want to be also just because I'm weird and it kind of weirds me out. I don't want to be embalmed. I just want to decay and I want to be buried in the ground as cheaply as the state of Texas will allow it. (laughs) Um, Number eight, what is your preferred location for burial or spreading of ashes? So if you get cremated, what do you want your family to do with your ashes? Do you want them to have to carry them around for the rest of their lives and like give it as a gift to their children? Or do you want to be spread somewhere? somewhere? Um, Number nine, what gifts or donations do you want to be made in your memory? Uh, Other preferences. I put on there, I am an organ donor. So if that's possible, great. On the back side of the handout, there's other space for additional information. If there's questions or things I didn't think of, uh, put them on there. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to take that, make a copy of it, keep it in your personal documents, your important papers, but then also give a copy to the church, to Grace. And when you die, I'll pull out that document, I'll meet you with your family and say, this, listen, this is what your mom or your dad or your loved one wanted. And then the service is planned. There's nothing for them to do but to grieve. And what a gift that will be uh, to your loved ones. Uh, By the way, we can email out a digital copy as well uh, later this week, uh, so you can have that if you want that. And listen, again, I know this is an odd topic. This is the most bizarre sermon application you've ever heard in your life. I've had some people the last few weeks tell me that they're uncomfortable thinking about death. I get that. Surprisingly, I've had a few people tell me they're really excited about this series. And I get that. But death for a Christian should produce mixed emotions. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Death is an enemy. Death is not a friend. But praise God, death has been conquered. As Christians, we have no need to fear death because we've been reconciled by our resurrected king. Question one of the New City Catechism says this, what is our only hope in life and death? Answer, that we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord, That even in death, we are reconciled and belong to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we do confess just the awkwardness it is of thinking about and talking about death. We confess that we are by nature children of wrath. We confess our own individual sins and what we deserve is to be eternally separated from you. And yet, Father, we trust in the reconciliation that Jesus and only Jesus has brought to us. Father, thank you for the gift, the amazing grace for the full redemption that we have because of the resurrected one. And Father, I pray for myself, I pray for each one here and for those watching online that we would live our life now experiencing that reconciliation that is ours. That we would rest in the peace that we now have because of Jesus. And Father, I ask that as we come to grips with the reality one day that we are going to die, help us to live. Help us to live knowing that will stand before our Savior and that we desire most of all to have him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, thank you for the only means of reconciliation we have. Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.